Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, celebrating 20 years of bringing the outdoors to Colorado radio, here's Terry Wickstrom. All right, we are back. And as promised, I'm going to go right to the phones. And joining us, one of our favorite contributors, Mr. Nate Zielinski. And Nate, uh, it can't make up its mind whether it wants to be spring, winter, or summer, or fall here. Um, I was talking just before you called in about there's still great ice fishing opportunities up in the mountains. We're not that far away from some really good open water here in the Front Range. There are some potential Front Range options for ice fishing, but boy, you better know what you're doing. There's no doubt, Terry. There's that. I mean, yeah, the weather has just been uh, just been a whirlwind. And I mean, obviously, the Midwest was in a, a harsh, deep freeze. We had a lot of cold. And again, we kind of keep talking about it. so far, Mother Nature's been at least helping the best that it can on the front range. Again, you know, now all of a sudden we're in some really warm, so we're really anticipating the, the ice in the front range taking a beating over the next couple of days. Um, but every time we get kind of a cold snap, we build some ice, and then when these warm days hit, we've had snow on the ice. And that snow has really been an insulator to help us save the ice that we've had. So, um, you know, again, not saying that I, I'd preach to go out there and, and be on the front range. You definitely have to know where your springs are at. Um, I mean, we get like, you know, for example, at Chatfield, we have a reverse current coming in and out of the basically the tower where the spillway to exit to, to be the tailwater of the fishery. Um, and you get a, a main river channel going into that, and then it actually get, creates a reverse flow. And you get about a 500 yards of a reverse flow, and the reverse flow is on the surface of the water column right below the ice. So right now at Chatfield, you could literally drill a hole and be in seven inches of ice and walk 15 feet. Um, and there's multiple little openings of, of total open water. It looks like a spring coming through. Um, so you definitely have to be very cautious on the front range. Again, if you kind of know where you're going, you check the ice very often. Um, there still is a lot of, lot of ice fishing opportunities on the front range. But again, um, I would not, you know, go chasing out there without checking the ice very often knowing what you're doing, knowing where, where springs possibly could be, where current flows possibly could be, um, and things like that. So there's a lot of, uh, a lot of things changing um, very quickly in, in our conditions. But, again, it's, uh, it's just kind of a whirlwind of a season. Um, now, the mountains have been taking a lot of wind, and that's one of the biggest things I'd say that's really changing the conditions there. We've had a lot of fisheries that have had a lot of snow on them, and we're starting to see some effects of, of lack of oxygen. And then some lakes are getting so much wind, they're blowing – um, you're having a lot better fishing opportunities. So, um, yeah, conditions are, are changing quickly on, on all sides, um, and the fishing opportunities are changing with those conditions. So there's, there's a lot of things to think about when you're planning your day on the ice, for sure. No doubt about it. And by the way, in a, in a week or two, um, you and I did a segment that I wrote a column in the Denver Post about the huge trout available through open water on the front range. I'm going to repost that on Facebook with a link to that column, probably not this coming week, but the week after, because there's going to be some opportunities, and we'll talk about it when we get closer, for some giant trout. But I know you've got an ice fishing contest coming up, and I know there's still tremendous ice fishing in the mountains. Take us through and kind of update us. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, to, to start off, though, with that article, we always call it like the sweetheart of the big rainbows, and it goes right with Valentine's Day. So mid-February, you know, we generally speaking almost always get just some little bit warmer trends. Again, not by any means that winter is over. I, you know, we obviously have some of our harshest winter conditions in, in February and March. Um, but right there around Valentine's Day, we always try to get a little bit of flow, and that flow always creates unbelievable fishing on the front range so you know we start to see big fish coming in the dream stream the south Platte leading into chatfield we see some incredible fishing we even see small runs of fish up in rivers like the bear creek coming out of bear creek lake um so yeah so that's a great time to post it again we start saying that mid-february that valentine's day bite um you see a lot of big spawning fish and a lot of times those biggest fish come in first um so there's a lot of opportunity as water starts to flow into these reservoirs uh right at those inlets where we see some giant fish uh but yeah to turn tables on the ice we are beyond excited next weekend a week from today uh we have our grand lake ice addiction event this is our last ice addiction event of the season uh and we're so excited to come back to grand lake so there's a ton of stuff going on on this weekend um so winter we actually teamed up with grand lake worked with the tourism board uh, you know, worked with the town manager, um, and we really kind of built what we think is the ultimate ice fishing weekend. So our ice fishing tournament is basically the start and kickoff of what they call Winterfest. So it's a, it's a big festival going on in Grand Lake. So our event kicks off the, the whole kind of weekend, uh, you know, obviously running from 8 a.m. to noon. Um, and then from that point on, there's all kinds of activities going on in Grand Lake. Um, you know, we've really allocated a ton of parking to where we're not going to have, you know, crowds or, or any overwhelming effect from that but if a person is looking to, to enjoy a great weekend of ice fishing we have the ice addiction event uh, on Grand Lake and that's a $5,000 cash prize for the heaviest single fish um, so it's not like you have to catch a tagged fish you don't have to catch a limit of fish there's no hoops no no crazy things to go through the single biggest fish uh, will have a $5,000 prize there at Grand Lake we're paying down 30 spots uh, in total there's a little over $20,000 in cash and prizes available um, at this event so we're excited about that and then again if you want to make a, a weekend of it with your family or you know uh, your significant other uh, there's a lot of stuff going on in Grand Lake you know they have snowmobiling going on they have you know all kinds of different activities and races and um, festivals and just everything going on so it's a uh, it's gonna be a great weekend to be up at Grand Lake this coming Saturday so we're excited about that and everybody can register for the ice fishing portion of that weekend uh, on our website at tightlineoutdoors.com $45 uh, we do random prizes every couple minutes, you know, $5,000 for first place, free coffee, free hot chocolate, free uh, Johnson's Corner cinnamon rolls. So we got a ton of stuff going on. Uh, it's definitely the place to be. But with that being said, Terry, I kind of want to talk to you about opportunity in a tournament. Obviously, you've been a tournament angler, and you know, we've talked about this a million times on this show. But just with the topic of the, you know, what's going to be the biggest event uh, of Colorado coming up this weekend at Grand Lake, um, I want to touch base on, on tournament angling skills because we get so many of these questions. And it, it's whether it's you're fishing my ice addiction event or you're fishing a walleye tournament or a bass tournament. We always talk about how a lot of people go into a tournament setting you know, literally just shooting for the moon, and it is a, a make-or-break type situation. People go for for the biggest, baddest fish they can possibly catch, um, and they just hope to get that big 15-pound laker in an event like Grand Lake or a 20-pound laker just to, to really dominate. Um, but in reality, you know, we, we really eliminate a lot of the water in our events. We try to make it all about individual angling skills. Where we're holding this event right there in front of basically the, the beach, Gene Stover Park at Grand Lake, um, 
that area right there is notorious for holding rainbows, browns, and a ton of those younger lake trout. So there's a lot of big fish get caught right there. There's no doubt about it. But in reality, in all tournaments, weighing fish always does better than getting the biggest fish. And again, this is in bass tournaments, walleye tournaments, ice tournaments. If you consistently bring fish to the scale in the long run, if you average yourself out, you are far ahead of the angling community um, rather than trying to catch that one big fish. And again, in tournament anglers of all kinds, of all species, the person that just goes for the sheer biggest fish Every so often, uh, they're rewarded, but more than likely, they go home, uh, you know, somewhat defeated. And that's the same thing in ice addiction. So we talk about this, and, you know, we really preach to people, hey, if you're going to fish a tournament, whether it's mine, whether it's the Wolford tournament coming up, you know, after that, or, or you know, any of the, the Warrior Scramble, uh, there's a lot of events out there. Catching fish, just going out there with a mindset of catching fish, weighing fish in the event um, will oftentimes do do a lot better than other events. You know, we look at Grand Lake last year, so we have some statistics from the year past. Uh, you know, it was a three-pound fish that won that event in the past. So, obviously, uh, you know, a somewhat smaller fish um, is definitely possible of taking the win. Not to say that somebody's not going to catch a, you know, a 15, 20-pound laker, um, but the odds have shown itself in our events that a lot of times an average fish can take the win. So going into the tournament with the mindset and the tackle and the approach, hey, let's just go out there, have a good day, let's catch fish, um, a lot of times can do really well. And again, you know, you look at, you know, my tournament fishing career, Terry, yours, um, you know, weighing fish a lot of times does better than, than shooting for the moon. I'll tell you, some of my biggest checks were comeback checks where I shot the moon the first day trying to win the tournament and got skunked <laughs> because you're fishing for a few big bites and if you don't get them. And so the second day we went out and just caught fish and put weights in the boat that if we'd have done two days of that or three days, depending on the tournament, we'd have won. And we ended up finishing yep. high, cashing big checks, plus getting a, I think there was three different tournaments that I won the comeback by going out the second or third days and just fishing. I mean, that's it. So when I tell people, you know, when you're preparing for a tournament, um, especially like this, you know, what you do on a daily basis, if you can go to Grand Lake and, and catch fish, you know, just fun fishing, nothing to do with a tournament, and you're catching fish, that's the same approach that I would do on tournament day. But so many of us go out and we fish normal, we have fun, we catch a ton of fish, we even catch some big fish. But then all of a sudden a tournament rolls around and we change our approach and we come into it with, you know, heavier tackle and bigger tackle and, you know, all this stuff really having that mindset of big fish going out and catching fish. And that's why we love ice addiction because, again, you know, you're going to be fishing against some, some amazing anglers, but everybody has a shot because you don't have to catch a limit. You don't have to, to jump through hoops. The single biggest fish, and in often cases, it's a, it's a very normal fish. So we're really excited to see what comes into play, and that's kind of the advice that we're, uh, you know, we're talking about. Hey, come to Grand Lake. Give this event series a try. There's huge payouts. Um, you know, and for those that are already signed up and, and fishing it, you know, come to catch fish. A lot of times that will uh, that will treat you better than, than shooting for the moon. So we're excited to see what happens. And, I mean, we're still going to see a ton of guys, you know, targeting those big lake trout that exist in Grand Lake. Um, and it'll be interesting to see next Saturday, a week from today at noon, uh, what's going to take the cake and take home that $5,000 cash prize um, at Grand Lake that weekend. So we're excited to see what, uh, what comes about and what, uh, what approaches we see, what techniques we see, and what we see, uh, what, again, takes home that, uh, that big prize money. Nate, we got a couple minutes left. Before we move on for 
people, you know, we're going to see some very warm weather till about Thursday. Then it's going to cool off, going to warm up and be kind of seasonal after that. If you were just headed out fishing the next, say, this next week before your Grand Lake tournament, whether it's ice or open water, I just want to get out and catch some fish. Where would you go? You know, you, you want to catch some fish, and let's just say in the ice fishing situation, you know, Terriol cannot be beat. You have a ton of ice. Um, you know, you're, you're dealing with a lot of mass quantity of fish, um, so that fishery is great. So you have the opportunity to catch a ton of rainbows. It's good, consistent action. You have the opportunity of getting a big pike again. We're still a little early, but in the coming week or two, we're going to start seeing some of those pike getting a little bit more active, so that type of opportunity is great. Um, the lakes that have a ton of snow on it, if you're a deep water lake, the snow has zero effect if you're a shallow water lake and you're starting to get a lot of snow um you know those type areas might start seeing some some somewhat of a gradual slowdown on that bite i heard that north delaney is starting to slow down just a little bit because of so much snow in the lake antero is still fishing well uh but you can definitely get into some of those situations where a lot of that snow is starting to slow down that bite you see the fish they're just not as active. Um, you know, so, again, this is the time of year that avoiding snow-covered lakes can be good. This is the type of situations where windy areas, you know, areas where the wind is blowing the snow off the lake, um, can actually be your friend and help you catch more fish at the end of the day because these fish are more active. Uh, but, again, if I was just going out and, uh, and giving it my best just to catch a lot of fish, uh, Terriol is one of those fisheries that I do not think can be beat. You're going to go out there, you're going to catch a ton of fish, opportunities in Big Pike, um, and just have a great day on the water and really be in uh, you know, some good conditions of ice to, to not have that fear in the back of your head. So Terriol would be my, my number one pick of, of catching just a lot of fish. And then again, you know, prepping for Grand Lake, the lake trout bite at Grand Lake at Granby, uh, Williams Fork, all the lake trout fisheries, those fish in that deeper water, especially those younger fish, they don't get fear. They don't get a lot of fishing pressure, and the fishing pressure doesn't bother them from the pressure that they get. Um, and it's a very consistent bite. So, so targeting those lake trout at places like Grand Lake, you're going to catch a lot of fish. It's a good time on the ice, uh, and you can prepare for the upcoming event. So, uh, so between Terriol and, and those, you know, somewhat younger lake trout, those are probably the two hottest bites right now as we consider this kind of our our midwinter uh, fishing right now. So, those those bites are very consistent. Nate, we are out of time, but Tightline Outdoors for more information on everything, both TightlineOutdoors.com and Tightline Outdoors on Facebook. Thank you, my friend. We'll talk to you in a week. We'll talk to you soon. All right, Nate Zielinski, we're listening to Terry Wicks from Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wicks from Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. We're going right to the phones as we are joined by a professional tournament fisherman, and he's one of the best uh, electronic experts, certainly in this part of the country, if not the whole country. And he's part of the Fishful Thinker uh, Guide and Media Service, Dan Swanson. Good morning, Dan. Good morning, Terry. You know, a beautiful sunny day like this, and we've been talking a lot of ice fishing today, but I'm ready to get the boat out. Now, I know it seems like a long ways away, but the boat, well, Pueblo's open right now. And the boat ramps are going to start opening pretty soon. A lot of people should be thinking about getting their boat ready, shouldn't they? Yeah, they should. I've been thinking about it. I can tell you that. Um, I'm anxious to get out. And, and now is really a good time to, to not only get, get your boat ready, but to think about, you know, do you want to upgrade your electronics? Yeah, you're, and I want to talk to you about both those things. First off, let's take a look at them. Pulling my boat. When you go into the winter, I don't know what you do anymore. I, I Because I still run a two-stroke outboard, I don't do a lot except put some stay bell in it 
or some fuel conditioner in it and make sure everything you know, is down and drained in my boat, all my live wells and everything. Um, but we get to this time of the year, and you've got to start doing I don't know if you, Chris, you get new boats like I used to. So what should they have done in the winter, and where should they go from here? Yeah, they probably should have done a lot of this stuff in the winter, but but one of the one of the things that you ought to start looking at is is you know how good what good a shape are your spark plugs in? Um, generally, you know, a lot of times when I get my boats ready in the fall, I or winterize my boats, I do all this stuff in the fall. But a lot of people do it in the spring. And one is checking spark plugs, looking at fuel filters. I mean, if you haven't changed your water pump impeller in a while, it's probably not a bad idea to do that. And it doesn't cost that much, and you get a couple buddies over. It's not even that hard to do. Um, checking the oil in the lower in the lower unit, you probably should have done that in the fall in case there's water in it, so you don't get any freezing. But still, still not a bad thing to to look at it and see if that oil needs to be changed. Um, you know, I look at my batteries again. If you store store your boat outside, you probably should have taken them out of the boat and and put them in the garage and and then charge them once in a while or put them on a trickle charger. But you know, check your batteries, make sure they're good. And, you know, stuff that we don't think about is just safety equipment. Things like, you know, are your life jackets any good? Uh, you know, how old are they? Are they all faded? And, and Or if you, if you have the inflatable type, what did you, you, know, you need to look at the cartridge and make sure that it's still good. And one that, uh, that I know that you'll get a ticket for if you don't do it, and that's check your fire extinguisher and make sure it's current. Oh, yeah, absolutely right. Um, you know, and you talked about the batteries, and I can tell you, I've probably shared this story with you before, but a lot of people know that as we're on pro staffs, that we, um, when I was doing television, I got virtually a new boat every year. In fact, I had 17 new boats in 16 years, and I was, uh, I'd get lax because we'd sell my boat in the fall and get it ready forever, but then I'd get a new one in the spring, and I got lax about going through sometimes like batteries, and I was out on the lake. And my trolling motor wouldn't work, and I thought there was string in it or something. And I tore it apart, and nothing in it. I swapped out because I happened to have an extra trolling motor. Went out on the lake. It still didn't work. Well, I hadn't checked the water in my batteries, and one of them was low, and virtually I had to replace the battery. So that was pretty embarrassing for somebody who teaches or preaches boat preparation. Yeah, and you know, and it's really important here in Colorado because it's so dry that if you have wet cell batteries, they those it, a lot of that water evaporates, especially over the winter. So, yeah, get them filled up with some distilled water and, and get a good charge on them. No, you're absolutely right. And, you know, if you if you just don't feel comfortable doing this, every few years, sometimes I do this even, every three, four years, if, I, if I'm keeping a boat, I will take it to a mechanic I trust and say, you know what, go through it. And replace the impeller in the water pump because you're right, they wear out and you could damage the motor. And, you know, just go through and tune up and check my computers and everything. It, sometimes, you know, it, it may cost you a little bit of money, but every few years, if you're keeping a boat as your lifetime boat, it pays to do that. Yeah, and, and if you're planning to take it into a mechanic right now, you should probably jump on it because they're getting booked up. There's a lot of people that are either buying new boats, they're prepping, or they're they're getting their boats prepared for for uh, for spring fishing. So you know you better get on their schedule because some of them I've heard are a couple months out. Now you're at by the way at Bass Pro today and tomorrow in the electronics section, and people can stop by and talk to you. But suppose I've got my boat. I've I've either had it for a while or I'm getting a new boat, and I really want to get hard. I want to get. Well, I want to be successful as a fisherman. Whether I'm going out a few times a year, or, uh, you know, or I'm really going to hit it. What are my choices in electronics, and what should I be looking at? 
You know, it's amazing how far electronics have come along and how much cheaper they've gotten. You can get a fish finder today with GPS and the regular color 2D sonar that we're all used to looking at and the, and a high-definition downscan imaging for like $100 for a 4-inch screen. And it's just amazing. You don't get any maps, but you can still mark waypoints. You can see your trails. And it's it's incredible. So so what? No, go ahead. Go ahead. When I was going to say, say what? No, go go ahead, Dan. We're stepping all over each other, Terry. I'm really sorry. No, so it's okay. If, if you want to if you want to add side scan because that's kind of an up and coming thing too, where you can see off the side of the boat and see logs and rocks and and fish and get some ideas on where you want to cast, look for cover of, of various kinds. You can you can get it into that for like four hundred dollars. If you want real maps. Because we have an, an amazing variety of, of our lakes now that are mapped with good contour lines, and you can get a unit for that for like two ninety nine. So the prices are becoming very, very affordable. And those kinds of things, having mapping and GPS and side scan, down scan, all that stuff can make can make it a lot easier to find fish. Well, I'll tell you what the the sonars had gotten so good, just the normal two D screens, color as far as seeing things. But you talked about the down scan and the side scan, and those just opened up new worlds. But the mapping with the contour lines, uh, where you can bring up a map and look at the kind of place you're fishing and if you're having success or not, and then duplicate that in other spots on the lake or go right to some what you think might be key spots. Um, the mapping has come so far, you brought that, that it just blows me away. It's just unbelievable. It is. It is. And and what's interesting is that a lot of the of the Lawrence units that are out there today, a lot of the of our local lakes, actually, the maps are built into the unit. So when you purchase it, it's already there. So like Horsetooth and Boyd Lake and uh, they're the Cherry Creek and Chatfield and Pueblo, they're all they're all built right into the unit. And you can download even higher definition versions of of Cherry Creek, Chatfield and Pueblo and Horsetooth for that matter. So it it's. We didn't have any of that stuff five years ago. Oh, I was just going to say, so how old do my electronics have to be before I'm really going to see an advantage in upgrading? Well, it depends on what you're what you're looking for. If you're happy with the 2D sonar that you've got today and it, it's black and white and you you know how to read it, that, you know, go ahead and use it. But if you want to move up to color, color can really help you distinguish the bottom hardness and pick out fish from the bottom it, it's just it just jumps out at you but that information is still there with the 2d unit but so now you're looking at unit, units that are five years old probably to go black and white because we you can't even get a black and white unit anymore they're all color but then you start looking at at all the mapping technology and like i said the last stuff that's been made in the last five years is all capable of maps but before that you pretty much don't have anything except for an avionics chip which really isn't that useful here in colorado at least it wasn't it is now all right dan we've got to go but if people want to learn more about this tell them where you'll be the next couple days i'm going to be at bass pro shops all day today and all day tomorrow and if you have questions about your electronics you want to learn what you might want to upgrade to or what some of the features of the different Lawrence products are, I'm going to be at the Marine counter. All right, my friend, we need to get on more and get more in depth, but I think a great way to get people started thinking because we're not that far from open water. Yep, I'll do a seminar right at the counter for you if you come by today. All right, thanks, Dan. All right, you you're bet, list- bye. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. 
You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. We're going right to the phones. Uh, we're joined by Brad Peterson from Brad Peterson Outdoors. Good morning, Brad. Good morning, Terry. Um, got a couple quick things. We've got a short segment, but I want to get a few things updated because you're kind of our waterfowl resource, and, of course, you do a lot of fishing and tournament fishing. Let's start with waterfowl. My understanding now, duck season has wound down, but we've still got some goose hunting available here. Is that right? Yes, we do. We've got, at least on the uh, central flyway, eastern plains here, we've got a couple weeks left. And after that uh, snowstorm and cold weather we had a week ago, I tell you what, there's been a bunch of birds that moved in. And the good news is where the way that snow was, it really moved the birds around. I'm seeing them in areas that they haven't been using. So I think the last two weeks for the guys that are still going to get out and uh, do some hunting could be really successful. Now, um, the season ends there, and then we have the conservation season. Is that Does that provide pretty good opportunity in Colorado also? It does. If you want to go chase the snow geese, I'm going to tell you, you're going to need to get pretty pretty close to the eastern border out there, uh, kind of the, the jumbo Julesburg area or down in the southeast, that two buttes, and those areas provide some opportunities as the birds come in. Uh, they're migrating back north, and it's what you really want, which is the exact opposite of fall hunting, is you want a nice warm day that you've got the south wind blowing. And usually, because we're kind of a migration area, and when you're hunting in the fields, it's not as much of an early morning hunt as it is a middle day because those birds have been migrating, and now they're looking for a spot to get down and feed. So a lot of times those banker's hours, 10 to 2, if you've got a a decent wind out of the south, are going to be the best time to be out there. Now, the reason this conservation or snow geese season exists because they became so prolific, they're actually damaging the habitat. So there's there's no uh, no limit. And for people who have never done it, um, it can be hit or miss because, they, like you said, they're migrating through. But, boy, sometimes if you hit it like on John Martin or or up at some of the lakes in the northeast, all of a sudden there's thousands of them, aren't there? Oh, yeah, tens of thousands to, you know, it's not uncommon for jumbo at its peak to have over a hundred thousand snow geese on it. And that may only last for a week or two, depending on the weather. Um, it may be shorter than that. If, if we get a snowstorm and they, they kind of try to push that snow edge and ice edge. So I would bet that some of those birds in the next week, it will already start or with this warm weather this weekend, will start moving North. Now, next week, we're supposed to get a little bit of cold weather, so stuff might freeze up again. Those birds might be pushed down south again. So we're going to be, right when that season starts, I really think it's going to be good for the first probably two, three weeks. It's going to be your best opportunity. All right, let's switch gears real quick because I want to get a fishing update. We've been talking on and off during the show that the mountains are providing some really great ice fishing. There's a few guys that claim we've got some fishable ice here in the front range, but, boy, you just, it's so hot, cold, warm, thaw, frozen, that if you really don't know what you're doing, it's it's a little sketchy. What are you seeing out there? You know, Terry, I'm seeing the exact same thing. I went by St. Vrain yesterday, and St. Vrain a week ago was, uh, Sandpiper was completely wide open, and Blue Heron was over half open, and they had covered with ice again, probably about 80%. But that's not going to be safe ice. Um, You know, with the temperatures we're having, they may rip back open over this weekend and a little bit of wind. 
So you might have some open water opportunities. Now, next week, if the forecast stays, we're supposed to be highs in the low 40s or upper 30s and, and lows down there in the low teens. You know, those areas that um, maybe had four or five inches, they're going to get back to being solid and really good again. And so we may have an opportunity for a little bit more ice fishing. But right now, if you want to go, there's some great stuff not far from the metro area. You can go up if you're down there in Denver. Evergreen's a great lake to go catch some fish. If you're further north, the Red Feather Lakes area. Um, all those are within less than an hour drive of the, the metro areas, and you can get on what's going to be safe ice for sure, no question about it, with an opportunity to catch a lot of trout. And I've heard terrials just pushing out trout. I don't know if they're big, but if you just, you know, red feathers you mentioned, terrial, if you're looking for action. And, you know, Brad, we're not very far, and we're going to start talking in the next two, three weeks. We're going to see some tremendous open water trout fishing on the front range, not only for numbers. I think a couple things are going to come into play. We've had numbers of fish that were stocked going into the fall uh, mostly for ice fishing that never got bothered. So I think we're going to have an abundance of fish that have grown over the winter that haven't been harassed because of the poor ice conditions. And then we're going to see a lot of both stockfish and big fish starting to be close to shore and available to both shore anglers and boat anglers. Oh, I agree with you, Terry. I think that first two weeks that we lose ice is going to be a prime opportunity to get a both quality and quantity of fish if you want to go out and catch your limited trout so that you can bring them home and cook them or smoke them up whatever you want to do there's going to be a great opportunity for that and they may be the best average size of the year because like you say places like saint Vrain, they only had maybe a couple weeks of ice fishing season where normally that place gets hit for six weeks eight weeks solid so those fish that they put in there the fall have not been harassed nearly as much as they should and trout will grow under the ice. You know, they're cold water fish, and their, their metabolism is still high. So they're growing, putting on inches, putting on pounds. So you're going to have a great opportunity for that. And springtime is always a great time for big fish. You're right. Brad, we've got to go, but uh, if they want more information, uh, Brad Peterson Outdoors? Yeah, you can uh, Brad Peterson Outdoors on Facebook or Brad P Outdoors on Instagram or give me a call at 303-829-3998. Or they can book a trip with you. Thank you, my friend. All right. Thanks, Terry. You bet. Brad Peterson, Brad Peterson Outdoors. Good guy. Great resource to the show. We're going to take a quick time out, and Ronnie Castiglione is going to join us. We're going to talk about putting the line on your reels, getting ready for fishing on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. We're going to go right to the phones and joining us as he does every other week, Mr. Ronnie Castiglione. Good morning, my friend. Good morning, Mr. Terry Wickstrom. How are you doing this morning? You know, I'm doing great, and we've been talking a lot about is there an ice fishing opportunity down Front Range? Isn't there? Well, there are in the mountains, but there's some open water. Well, then there isn't. But, you know, this shoulder season, we get some of this every year, and there's going to be opportunities to get out there and fish, but... A lot of people, you get a day like today, and they're thinking, i got to get ready for the open water. And one of the first things that they really need to look at that you think they should look at is the line on their reels, right? Yeah, absolutely, Terry. You know, we've talked about this in years past, that, 
you know, I think one of the most crucial things that you can spend your money on year in and year out is new line, Terry. Uh, putting new line on the reels, making sure your reels are spooled up properly, all that kind of stuff. Very, very important. It's definitely that time of year where you need to start thinking about doing that. And, uh, you know, putting line on the reels, Terry, actually going about doing it is something that I talk to clients about all the time. And I'm always astounded, Terry, at how many people do it wrong. They just don't quite understand some of the finer nuances of how to put the line on the reels. So that's kind of what I wanted to cover today, Terry, some of the, some of the tips on how to actually just go about getting a line onto your reels. Well, and, you know, there's such a choice for line out there right now for people. It gets a little confusing, and some of them you can leave on a reel longer than others, and some you should change even multiple times a season and nothing can ruin a trip worse than having your line get all balled up or not perform properly because there's really no cure for it in the field if you don't have extra line with you. And once you've chosen that line, you're absolutely right. Different lines have different nuances of putting them on. Do they have memory? How tight do you get them? So why don't you take us through maybe some of your favorite lines and how you would go about it? Well, you know, Terry, I mean, in general, when we're talking about lines, we're going to be talking about braid or some sort of a super line, maybe a mono or a coal polymer type of line, or maybe a fluorocarbon line. And so I don't really want to get too much into specific lines today. Maybe maybe next time I call in, we can talk about, you know, which lines for which presentations and things like that. But, you know, putting the lines on the reel, putting the line on the spinning reel, putting the line on the casting reel, those are the kind of things I want to talk about. And, you know, right off the bat, let's, let's talk about, you know, how to actually go about putting the line on spinning reel for example, Terry. Uh, now, one of the things I, I talk to clients about, it, and on all of my reels, Terry, and we've talked about this before as well, all of my reels, I put backing behind the line. So what I mean by backing is this, Terry, is let's say I have a spinning reel that's going to hold 200 yards of six-pound test mono. That's what it says on the thing. That's what it's supposed to hold. Um, Almost almost all the time, Terry, I am not going to fill that thing all the way with 200 yards of the six-pound test that I'm wanting to use, Terry. Usually, I put backing on all of my reels, and I usually want to end up with anywhere from 100 to maybe 125 yards of the good line on top of the backing. So I'll just go ahead and fill that reel. Say it's going to hold 200 yards, and in my, I'll fill it about halfway full. I'll look at that spool, Terry. I'll, I'll figure out what's about halfway full on that spool, and that's what I'm going to fill that to with some sort of a cheap mono, Terry. So it doesn't really matter what it is. A lot of times it's just kind of the cheapest mono I could buy at Walmart or Sportsman's Warehouse or something like that. And usually my backing most time is right around eight pound test mono that I like to back everything with. So I'm going to put about a hundred, you know, no, not really a hundred yards, but maybe about 60 yards of that 10 pound test, which will fill that 200 yard spool that would hold six, about halfway. And then I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to put about a hundred yards of the fluorocarbon or the, or the really good mono or the cool polymer on top of that, Terry. There's some reasons I'm going to go about doing it that way, Terry. Uh, the big one is that in the long term, in the long run, year in, year out, that's going to save me a lot of money, Terry. I'm not going to be putting a high-dollar line on the whole reel. Um, by filling it with the mono, I've, I've filled that space in behind it, so you know it's about half, half as expensive to fill that reel. It will allow me to fill it more often. Um, what I'll end up doing is I'll end up tying a knot right there between the backing and the, and the line that's going on the top part of it. Usually that's going to be a uni knot for me, Terry. And what I often do is I put a little piece of tape right on top of that knot as I reel that onto 
the spool so that I never feel that knot as I utilize the line on top of it. I don't feel it click. I don't see it push through the line, that kind of a thing. And then as I utilize my reel throughout the year, Terry, once I start to make casts and I start to really see that little piece of tape and I can see that I'm getting close on it, now that's just a good kind of marker for me, a good thing to tell me that it's about time to put new line on that reel and then I know to do it, Terry. So, you know, there's reasons to do that. I, I always like my reels to be full of line as much as possible, Terry. Um, they're going to cast better. They're going to have more sensitive drag when, when they're filled with line, and you're going to get the maximum retrieval speed out of a reel when it has a, a full spool of line. And so, you know, just those three things alone are going to improve my fishing, going to improve the, the ability to utilize the reel. And so, you know, that's kind of how I go about it. Now, now let's say I'm utilizing braid, Terry, and we do put braid on a lot of the reels. Uh, braid, I put backing on as well, Terry. And now, now what you're starting to see, however, is you're starting to see a lot of braid-specific spools that are entering the market. So now it used to be that we, we'd want to put the backing on for a couple reasons with braid. One was so that the braid wouldn't just spin around the spool because it doesn't have any stretch and it wouldn't really adhere tightly to the spool when you put it on there. So, uh, you know, the old school way was to put a little bit of mono backing and put the braid on top of it. I still do that now, even with a spool-specific spool, Terry, that might have a rubber gasket down there to hold that braid. But I'm putting that mono on there to fill the reel completely, Terry, so that I'm not, I'm not having to fill it 200 yards with, with, with my six- or eight-pound braid, you know, something along those lines. Now, now another thing that, that's real important to think about, if you are utilizing braid, especially braid, Terry, and you're, you're going about putting it on, I suggest that you always buy your braid in a minimum of a 300-yard spool, Terry. So when you go to the, the stores, you'll see that a lot of times braid's going to come in maybe 125 or 150 yards, and then it's going to jump up to 300 yards, and then you can buy the larger, bulkier spools, the 1,500 yards to 3,000 yards, which is what I like to buy, Terry. But, but for most people, I suggest that they buy the 300-yard spool of braid if they're going to fill. The reason is this, Terry, is that if you get that 300 yards, you can basically fill three reels with that one spool if you're just putting 100 yards on top of it. And you definitely don't want to waste any of it. You want to try to do it properly so that when you're all said and done, that you don't end up with 20, 30, 40 yards of just extra braid on that filler spool left there that you didn't utilize. So you got to pay attention to that. But the 300-yard spool will allow you to fill three reels, whereas if you're just buying the 125 yards or the 150, well, maybe you can fill two reels reels with 75 yards carry, but really it's not quite enough in my opinion. So the 300-yard spools are often what I suggest for people, Terry. All right. Now we got about three minutes left. How do you, is there any techniques they need to know about putting the line on? Well, let's talk about that, Terry. If you're putting mono or fluorocarbon on a spinning reel, for example, you really need that to come off the side of the spool. So a couple techniques you can utilize. One is to go ahead and put that fuller spool right down on the ground. And more often than not, you want that thing coming off of that spool towards the reel in a counterclockwise direction. So you kind of want to watch it as it comes off and watch it fill on like that. But you really, the big key is you really need it to come off the side as opposed to reeling it off the spool off the top of the 
spool so that the spool is spinning. Now, if you're filling a casting rod, it's completely opposite. You want it to come off the top part of the reel or top part of the spool as if it's spinning towards you so that the memory of the line allows it to wrap back on the casting rod. It's really all about the memory that's been imparted to those lines on the spool. You don't want to put it on backwards or sideways so that the, the line itself is jumping off the reel because of all that memory that's been imparted. So you want to go about doing it that way, Terry. Now, as far as tensioning the lines, if you're putting the mono or the fluorocarbon on the spinning reel, I, I like to tell people to utilize a soft leather glove. The soft leather glove you know, will apply a lot of tension. And with those two lines, I'm, I'm often just pinching it between my forefinger and my thumb as I'm putting it onto the reel like that because you, you don't need to really tension the mono or the fluorocarbon real, real taut. But if you are putting braid on top of your backing and you're putting braid onto a spinning rod, one of the biggest problems I see is that people don't put it on under enough tension, Terry. You really want to lock that stuff down tight. So I'll use that same soft leather glove, but I will string the line between all the fingers on my hand and then pinch it with my, my forefinger and my thumb like that. So now I'm creating a whole bunch of tension as that line is coming through my hand and I'm putting it on the reel. That is key with braid, Terry. What that does is that will prevent, in a lot of scenarios, those wind knots, those those jump-off tangles that people get when they're utilized braid on spinning reels. The big thing that happens is if you lay slack or any kind of loose line onto a spinning reel, then as that line jumps off, when you go to make a cast, it will grab that loose line below because that line is not perfectly smooth. It will grab it, it will pull it off as the line pulls off, and then you end up with those little loop knots, those wind knots, those disastrous knots. The way to solve that, Terry, is the tensioning of the line. And another big key with that, Terry, is as you utilize that braid on that spinning rod throughout the day, every now and then, it's a real good idea to make a real, real long cast with that, take your offhand, and go ahead and re-tension that throughout the day. That's an important skill. That's something I do throughout the day with clients. Whenever I see that their rods are getting a little loose, I just have them hand to me, and I make a real, real long cast, and I re-tension that line so that it's real tight when they're utilizing it. So they don't get those wind knots throughout the day, Terry. We are out of time, Ronnie, but great advice. I think we'll be um, talking more and more over the next few weeks about about getting people, um, getting their stuff ready. I will talk to you very soon, and we probably need to get together and have dinner here pretty quick. Sounds good, Terry. I hear you're going to New Orleans. I'm jealous, bud. Eat some yeah. oysters and some shrimp and some redfish for me. Yep, I will be heading on a plane down to New Orleans, and uh, listen to them whine because they're not in the Super Bowl. So anyway, I will talk to you soon, Ronnie. All right, have a good one, buddy. You bet. We are wrapping stuff up. We got some, uh, we got some guys coming up after us that I think are going to talk about. Uh, why don't you grab a mic there, John? I'll bet these guys are going to talk a little bit about. Uh, I heard there's a football game uh, this weekend. Yeah, there is. There is a football game. The Super Bowl is you know, this weekend. I'm I'm in New Orleans. Did I go to the wrong town? It would appear that way. Yeah, they they don't want anything to do with the Super Bowl. You you <laughs> right want to know now. how bad it is down there? I've talked to some of the places down there. Mm-hmm. And they tell me they're going to play instead of the Super Bowl, they're going to play the rerun of the one from uh from Will they uh, beat Peyton? Yeah, 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 the well, the, the the one the the one from uh, ten years ago, yeah, during that, yeah, that one. Yeah, with the Saints. So the Saints are going to be replaying the Super Bowl they won rather than yeah. showing their own. Super I know. Bowl. Before I before I leave, somebody needs to grab a microphone here because somebody just walked in. That, uh, how, Mr. Jacobs, how long have we been associated in radio together? Ah, uh, I would say 
15 or 20 years, but here's what I said when I walked in the control room. You know, I listen to the show all the time, but I said, here's the only real, you know, fisherman in the show is Karen behind you know, the glass. We haven't you, even seen each other for a few years, and the first thing you're going to do is rip me? I just, I'm just telling it like it is. That's what I do. I mean, you know, you, you know I watch a television show, and here's Karen with a, you know, a hundred pound, you know, salmon or whatever the heck she's catching, and then you're like floating down the river in your waders. It's, you yeah, know, well, we like, used to be friends, but yeah. uh, it's good to see you back on the air. Yeah, thanks. All right, uh, I've now. been enjoyed listening to you. Yeah, that's great. Well, you and I, we go back a long, long that's ways. Right. Well, I, I go back with your kids. Uh, you know, uh, Tracy and I were. All the way through elementary school. So. And that was like 10 years ago, right? Uh, roughly. Yeah. Yes, roughly. <laughs> hey, we got to wrap it up so these guys can talk sports. There is a Super Bowl coming up. Uh, follow me on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook. Um, I just posted one of my Denver Post columns about avalanche danger. It's really bad out there. Read that. Get some tips. Next week, we're going to cover Dillon Reservoir for ice fishing. I'll give you more information on that. Follow us on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors every Saturday, 9 to 11. We'll let... Uh, We'll let the take it to the top of the hour and 1043 the fan and Dan and John will talk football. Thank you. Voices are calling from-